Hello and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Awaza, makers of fine filtration products like the Biomaster Canister Filter and BioPlus Internal Filters. If you're looking for power filtration made in Italy with German engineering, look no further. Use the link in the show notes and check out these great filters. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Friday, September 20th, 2019. My guest today is Dr. Neil Clark. Neil is a longtime hobbyist with major scientific credentials. He has a Bachelor's of Science in Marine and Freshwater Biology, a Master's of Science in Aquaculture, and his PhD in Ecotoxicology. So, Neil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Randy. Glad to be talking to you. You are, let me make sure I got this right, uh, mm-hmm. you are mm-hmm. now the second guest, the second international guest from the UK onto the podcast. So, thank you for really? helping Who me. Uh, George Farmer, so the uh, the aquascaper, famous aquascaper, okay. yeah, Mr. George Farmer. Yeah, you did. You mentioned him. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, hey, that'll do. Second, second will do me. <laughs> You're just helping me to expand the uh, the international depth of the podcast. So, so thank you very much, Neil. Uh, and now, so I need to set the scene for everybody um, okay. and kind of yeah. embellish a little bit in the story of how you know you and I our first interaction. So. So Neil, so you and I were both on the uh, the recent empty Amazon tropical fish collecting trip that was started in Iquitos, Peru, and you know we went up the Amazon River, uh, the Rio Nanay, and a couple of the other little yeah. tributaries. So that's how that's that's yeah. where you and I we spent a week together, right? But how it started though is uh, my trip down to Iquitos, Peru was. Uh, flying with my family from Seattle to the San Francisco Bay Area in California for them to stay with my in-laws uh, because my wife has, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we've got our toddler and we've got a three-month-old. And so, you know, I didn't want to just yes, leave her mentioned. with those kids yeah. for a whole week. And so her being able yeah. to spend time with her family really helped to make this trip possible. From there, I flew from the uh, Bay Area airport down to Los Angeles, from LAX to uh, Lima, Peru, and then from Lima, Peru to Iquitos, right? So this is, you know, a fairly yeah. fairly lengthy travel. I mean, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen hours in the air. So we mm-hmm. land, we land in Iquitos, Peru, and I'm super mm-hmm. excited, right? I'm super excited to be there. Um, you know, I think we landed yeah. like midday, something like that, and I get off the airport or get off the airplane, go into the airport, and sure enough, the first time ever in my life, there's a guy standing there holding a sign with my name on it. I'm like, oh, I finally get to have that uh, moment. Yeah. And uh, whose, okay. name, whose name is also on that little placard is, is a gentleman named Neil Clark. And I'm like, all right, right. All right. So I think I think I saw mm-hmm. Neil's name before on the email of who is going to be on the uh, on the trip coming down to Iquitos. That's and right. I'm like, okay, so he's going to he's rolling with me. I guess he must be on this flight. Cool. And so, our very first interaction is, oh, I'm out. This is sorry, I don't have my luggage. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so you're jumping you're jumping straight to it. So I go to the yeah yeah I go to the little taxi yeah. car right, and I'm just waiting there. And uh, yeah, you yeah. and I we had, we had kind of talked, and it's oh Neil had lost his luggage, or the the airline had mm. lost Neil's luggage. And it's like, oh man, yeah. that sucks, man. Like, I feel really bad. No worries. I'm just going to wait in the car while you go to the counter with uh, Guillermo, yeah. who's like the yeah. fixer for the entire uh, yeah. thing. If you need something, if something wrong happened, Guillermo's going to take care of it for you. So he takes you exactly. over to the, uh, the airline counter. And I'm thinking in my head, like, all right, 10 minutes. Like, maybe this is going to take 10 minutes. I'm just going to hang out outside, do some filming. It was, it was a lot. I've got a feeling it was a lot longer than it 10 minutes. It was for a. Me, for me, it was a. He, Long time. <laughs> it was a lot longer. So, like the euf- it, the euphoria. Can I just can I just say can I just say it was Peruvian time. So under Peruvian time, we had to wait for the young lady to come to the desk, and that that that's what took the time. 
Oh, nice. So it wasn't even like you guys were looking something up on the computer. You're just standing oh, there. Oh, no, no. We were, just, oh, wow. we were just waiting for somebody to turn up. That's awesome. Yeah. So I didn't even know that story. But but yeah, so I'm, I'm like, I'm in the parking lot, you know, and the guy's like, oh, yeah. you want to get in the car? It's air conditioned. You know, he had the car running and everything. I'm mm. like, man, I was yeah. just on an airplane for 16 hours. The last thing I want to do yeah. is, is just, just sit, sit down, down in a car. car. I'll just, yeah, I'll yeah. just enjoy the nice, you know, Amazon humidity and heat and sunshine yeah. and stretch my legs. Mm. But after like a half mm. hour, I'm like, man. I'm not liking this Neil guy. Like he's, I'm like he's he's holding up progress. I'm ready to get into I'm, town. And- I, I'm I'm standing at I'm standing at the desk going, and I'm waiting ten minutes. And Guillermo's yeah, going, she'll be here in a minute. And I was being polite, and then ten minutes later, I'm like, yeah, my where is she? And it, eventually. She toddled over, yeah. Yeah, and so, so that's what took, yeah, that's, and then yeah, it took forever. And so you had to do whatever process to say, "Hey, I lost my luggage." Like, forms, look yeah, on computers, yeah, give her forms. pieces of paper. Yeah, so write it's... it all out in English. Try to get them to understand English, and where is London and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. you, you know, and even after all that time, it's not like oh, they just found mm. it in the back of the airplane. Like you still didn't have no, your no. luggage at that point. No, um, it's just been in a form. So you know, we 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 meet each other, and or we you know say hi again mm. in the in the parking lot. Mm. We both get in the car with Guillermo and the driver. We headed into Iquitos, and within like the first minute or two of talking with you, it's like all of that animosity just completely went away. And I'm like, all right, Neil's a cool guy. He I, and I. Were I gonna... didn't know there was any, but there we go. <laughs> oh no, there was. There totally was. I was I was like, man, this guy is keeping me from eating. Like some some Peruvian food and yeah. relaxing in the but, hotel and you you just you just didn't realize you're in Peruvian time and there's lots of it. <laughs> so I know that for next time and anybody listening to this now is can be aware of Peruvian time. But but no from that from that car ride it's like no Neil's a super cool guy we're gonna get along just fine and uh, sure enough we did. Yeah. So yeah absolutely that's the way I felt as well. I knew there wasn't gonna be a problem. It was gonna be a good fun trip and it was great. Yeah. Yeah, and so you and I, we actually spent a, a couple days together just kind of, you know, mm. hanging around Iquitos, doing some stuff yeah. before the trip even actually started. Yeah. So that was, yeah, yeah. That, that was a lot of fun. Particularly the manatee farm. I particularly, manatee, you know, the manatee farm was great fun. I, yeah, I completely forgot about that. So, yeah, we went out to the Amazon <laughs> Research Center. <laughs> How can you forget a, a man or a boy dressed as a manatee? I th- yeah, <laughs> yeah. In 40 degrees of heat wearing a great big... Blooming suit. Yep, yep. Yeah. With his little, with the, with the tip pocket. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the the uh, the order of events is a little bit jumbled up for me still because it was such a whirlwind oh, yes. kind of uh, kind of mm-hmm. trip. But yeah, we went out to the Amazon Research mm-hmm. Center with Dr. Anthony Mazarol, who um, I'll have on the podcast. I actually, that so that interview um, that I did with mm-hmm. him, Neil, um, mm-hmm. that you were actually yes. present for, the audio file got yes. corrupted. So the audio is it it, every 10 seconds, there's a fairly large audio distortion. So that particular uh, recording kit kind of credit out on me. Uh, The interview I did with Devin Graham on the boat, same exact thing. The interview I did with um, Dean and I. So Dean, myself and Corey were in my hotel room and uh, Dean and I were wearing the lapel mics that fed into the phone and using Mm -hmm. the recording software. Both of our yeah. audio was corrupted. Where Corey, using my separate Zoom little recorder, his was perfect, uh-huh. and I was actually able to piece back the uh, to, to actually boost my audio level and Dean's audio level to actually have a passable yeah. episode. And so, um, of the three interviews, only one was usable. And so that's 
That's definitely uh, sad. So uh, I, I need to reconnect with Dr. Anthony and, uh, and Devin yeah, to get those interviews. I hope you do. I hope you do because it'd be well worth getting an interview with him. Absolutely. So enough enough about that, Dean. Or Dean, mm. excuse me. So enough about that, Neil. Where does it all begin for you, right? So somebody that's got a Bachelor's of Science in Marine and Freshwater Biology, yeah. a Master's in Aquaculture, PhD in Ecotoxicology. Like, what? Yeah. what what's like your earliest memories in the hobby? Um, I didn't start in the hobby. I I, I, I started down the, the local river. There's a little a little river called the River Lee, and it's it's like um, three foot wide and six inches deep. And I'm probably just messing around with a net and a bucket, just like everybody else. And there's 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 one species in there. It's a stickleback. It's a stickleback or nothing. So I, I end up with a little bucket with a little sticklefish in, and I take it home and I say to my dad, "Can I keep the fish?" And it's like. No, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. In the end, in the end, it's ended, it ended up in a in a, um, a foot long tank in the garage, and I didn't know what to do with it. So um, I stuck some algae in there, and I didn't know what to feed it. And I, I don't know if they, you know, there's a there's a company called Super S U P A, and they they do um, a, a fish food which is um, it's, it's said to be made said to be made from dog biscuits that they grind up and they're supposed to kill fish. I'll probably yeah, that's a lawsuit. But anyway, um, it died, and that was the first fish that, that, that it, it died, and that kind of hooked me. The fact that the fish died, I didn't like it that it died, and I wanted to know why that fish died. And from then on, I just started keeping fish. Oh wow! Okay, that's that that interesting. So that was at the age of that was at the age of eleven. I didn't, wow. I didn't bump into a discus fish until I was about 13, 13 and a half. Okay, yeah. So tell me about that then. It's exactly the same story. When when you talked to Anthony Maserol, it was exact. It was made me laugh because it was exactly the same story. I got friendly with a guy who had a shop in town, and he he went he took me upstairs, and he was this great big tanks, six foot tanks, like six foot long tanks, and they're full of these discus and they're ribena coloured. I mean if anybody knows about discus, we'll talk to you about ribena coloured discus and where they come from and everything. And I was looking at these fish and I, okay fine. I went downstairs and it's this big tank and in there was a, a wild brown discus and I I just walked up to the tank, looked at him, he looked at me and he was like, What's your problem, mate? And I looked at him <laughs> and I thought, Holy crap, this fish is seems to have a soul. It seems to be talking to me with its eyes and that was it i was hooked 13 and a half years old one one adult male brown discus and that was it me, me done within a few weeks i'd bought some um oh they were little royal blues and by then i had a um, just an ordinary aquarium an ordinary foot three foot aquarium was really it was just full of um, plants full of just lots of little ornamental fish just an ordinary average tank and i threw these discus in and they all died and i was like why did my discus die and that was it hooked again mm. it went from there and so and i spent i spent i spent a good time killing fish in uh you know in, in, a, in a community tank with nothing was correct the water quality wasn't correct the team the you know the the, the other fish in a tank everything everything you could possibly do wrong that maybe lots of people do to start with i did it when I was 13 years old. So then, you know, at the age of, you know, 11 or 13 years old, were you going down yeah. to the local library? Were you trying to reach out to, to fish clubs? Like, how are you trying to I, learn I, from I had these experiences? I, had a, I, had a, well, I think I said to you this, but by, I had an encyclopedia of fishes, and I've still got it somewhere on the shelf, and I 
I was down the local fish shops, yes, I was going through all the local shops looking at all the local fish, and by the time I was 13 or 14 I knew everything, every fish that was in that encyclopedia, I had a little, a little book with all the names written in, and I think by, by 14 and a half years of age I was, I was working in the local shop on a Saturday day, doing oh, Saturday nice. days for, for 16 quid in the, in the local shop. With the with the guy I knew very well because I was in his shop every Saturday. And, and now for uh, for contrast, how much was a discus um, at that time? So if you they were they were they were five pounds each. My, my first look, my first they were about the size of a I don't know how. Yeah, not much bigger than your your thumbnail, and they were five pounds each. Okay, and and so just to refresh my memory, we talked about this on the trip. A quid is the same as a pound, right? So a quid is basically yes. how, how Americans we yes, say. A, like a, a, <laughs> yes, I, I, told, I did say this to you once. I've I always forgotten again. A quid is a pound. Okay. Indeed. Okay. And so that's like us saying a buck, like a, you know, $1, one yeah. buck. That's just, okay. Yeah. Just your, just your yeah. slang. All that's right. it. Yes. Okay. So a sizable, yeah. a sizable portion of a day's wages to pay for one of these discus. Yeah. Well, I had to save my pocket money up for quite a while to buy Five or six little royal blues. Mm -hmm. Yes, it took, probably took me a lot of uh, washing the car and things like that. Yes. And then, were you able to, uh, uh, you know, did you eventually get to a point where you were breeding discus that where you're being successful? No, with, with fish? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was, I was forced to go to, I was forced to go to college. And when I, when I went to do my A levels at college, I was told, you got to stop all that stuff mm. and go to college and get your education. Go to go to college, do your A levels. So all the fish keeping stopped. It, it didn't start again until I owned my own flat. I was 20, 24 years old. I bought, bought my, my, moved out of my parents, bought a flat, and within months there were fish tanks down the wall. Nice. And I was passed straight back into discus. Nice. Okay, and so, yeah. so, so walk me through that, uh, through yeah. that, that period of your fish keeping life. So you've got your, you've there, got there your... was nothing. There was, there was, no, there was nothing in those years. I was, I was literally. Um, well, that's not actually true. That there were there were years when I was allowed to have one tank on the sideboard, and it would be a small, two foot tank, and there would have been a few community fish and, a, and the occasional discus and the same old thing, local hard water with, with a community tank, and it just nothing was going on until I finally got my own place. And then when I got my own place, I started moving into you know. Uh, Deionized resin, resins, uh, CBR cartridges, water purification, RO membranes, and all that kind mm. of thing, and, and, bare, and bare tanks. Up until that point, it was just community tanks with uh, an under gravel filter and just the same tank as anybody else would have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, spe I specialized when I moved out and got my own place. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about that specialization, right? So now you've got your own place. Um, you yeah. Know, what What did your operation look like? And like, what What were you doing? Were you um, just taking me down that journey? I think it started with a couple of tanks, and then it got expanded, and I was doing crazy things like building um, building rack systems, having people make me tanks up. Um, I think I went, I expanded up to about 14 tanks at one point. Um, I think I spent 500 quid once on some, on a fish trip, came back with a whole bunch of discus. It was a learning experience. It was all about, you know, water quality, filtration, food, who do you buy your fish from? Should you buy Asian? Should you buy German? You know, I started making my own beef heart. I've always made my own beef heart. Um, 
yeah, it was the complete thing where you have to go through and you have to learn it piece by piece. Mm. What was your end goal, right? So like you're you're doing this, you're mm. making your own beef heart racks, you're you're investing yeah. a lot of money. What I've, was, I've what... always done this. I, I did the same thing for year after year after year, which is I like to buy a very small fish and grow it, grow it all the way through to adulthood. I've always done that. And then... I have the occasional pair. I had the occasional pair. I had the um, occasional time when they hatch. Um, but I never took it further than that. For me, it was always, I always did the same thing. I always got them when they were six or eight weeks old, grew them through to a year, got a little little bit bored, sold them, and, and went out and bought the, the nicest fish I could find. And it just, it just the quality, the quality changed. The quality just got, it, you know, it went up. It went from average fish to good fish to expensive fish to, I want the, I want the best discus. Mm. And so, what, what did you find then in this period of your time? Like, where, where were the best fish coming from? Where were the best discus coming from? This, this. I mean, we said we wouldn't be controversial, but um, <laughs> in your experience, um, in your experience, and in your opinion, I, I think that's a perfectly. I think if we caveat it with that, uh, you know, okay. Well, I, I will, I will, I will turn the question on its head and say that I went to college and I learned a lot about diseases and the life cycle of diseases. And you've been to a tropical, you've been to a tropical country. And you probably got a little bit of a feel for parasite loads and worms and deworming and all that kind of thing. And all I would say is that if you live in a tropical country and you and you live somewhere and it's open, the, the life cycle of parasites can be completed in a tropical country. So if you're you are in Penang or Singapore or anywhere like that, you're up against it because the life cycle of of those parasites can can be completed, so you've got a you've got a harder job to keep the fish clean. Mm. So uh, you generally generally speaking, I would say that German German discus are cleaner than Asian discus, and that's not I'm not putting out that not putting down Asian discus at all, but it's just a more difficult job because they live in a tropical climate. Yeah, I mean you could and say that most of them. I was going to say you could even yeah. apply that then. So so Asian climate, um, you know, Florida here in the United States has that kind of tropical yeah. climate. So it's not just you know Asia, yeah. but it could also be the life cycle could be completed in a place like Florida as well. Yes. And that's interesting. So from a yeah. business standpoint, they have the so the these these countries with um, the more mm. temperate tropical climates. I get no tropical is the the, mm. the right term there. They have the inherent advantage of you know because the weather is more like the fish's natural environment they don't have to do artificial heating um, they can typically have the outdoor large inexpensive operations um, but yeah. you know one flip side of that is that because they can as you're saying the parasites can complete their life cycle um, that is a okay. that is a potential disadvantage where in somewhere like Germany which is not like a it is not like the Amazon well, no, because in terms they, of its climate. they're in a factory unit yeah they're going to be inside it's mm -hmm. going to be a, a recycle system it's going to be much cooler there's not going to be sediment there's not going to be plants there's not going to be birds not mm -hmm. going to be insects the, the, everything that you need to complete the life cycle is going to be a lot a lot less yeah or you've got a you've got an easier uh, a much greater chance of of producing if you like cleaner fish. Yeah, yes. but but that's a disadvantage. It, it comes mm. with the upfront disadvantage of you you are in Germany, you're in a place that gets really 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 cold in the winter time, you have to do yeah. you have to put in all this infrastructure. You have to put this entire yeah. system yeah, in place. Yeah, you got the heating, you got the heating bill and you've got uh cost of food is going to be more, wages is going to be of course you'll yes, cost them massively. Yes. 
massively inflated compared to uh, Asia. Yeah, that's that, that's that's definitely interesting to look at it from that from that positioning of yeah, you may have like an like a, a tropical country may have the advantage of you don't have to pay a heating bill, but on the flip side, you may have a disadvantage of having to then battle these natural elements yeah. that somewhere yeah. that doesn't have the weather advantage they don't have to battle it because they are controlling everything and that those things don't naturally mm-hmm. occur where you're doing that. That's interesting. So if I were to set up a fish farm here in Washington, which gets super cold, mm-hmm. well, not super cold, but it gets fairly cold and we get a couple snows every winter, um, mm-hmm. I would potentially have that advantage where, um, you know, that life cycle completed. Yeah, it's, 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 generally, it's generally the money thing that wins. It's not, you know, there's an awful lot of fish that come from tropical climate because of the, the, the cheapness of it, of, you know, yep. the... the you really, we haven't mentioned the water supply. A lot, of, a lot of people in Asia they they can use a tap water, mm-hmm. a conditioned tap water. They don't have to use purifiers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they don't pay the wages, and they don't they don't have the massive food bill, and they don't have the way, big wages bill. And that's normally the factors that went out. That's where you get an awful lot of fish from tropical climates. You know, I wouldn't be surprised as this hobby catches up with um, other other consumer areas. Um, let me let me develop out this thought. So, you know, here in the states, there there's much more of a move to higher quality, more natural foods. Um, kind of breaking okay. down, breaking down the manufactured foods out there, and just going to the you know I don't like to use kitschy terms, but the farm to table kind of approach. And people are willing to pay more for a higher quality. And so maybe at some point in this hobby, we will see that people are willing to spend more money on those neons or cardinals or whatever it may be, wherever the source is coming from, you know, uh, some type of a stamp of approval that yes, this is, this is a higher quality fish. You will pay X percent more, but you know, your chances of success are that much greater. Um, and, and maybe, maybe that shift is kind of happening right now in the hobby, or maybe it's something that will happen. But I feel like in a lot of aspects of life, you know, the, the convenience and the cheap, the cheapness of, I don't know, like from the fifties to now, where basically we sacrificed. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, well, I mean, you know, my my old lecturer, um, Bernice Brewster, um, she taught me a lot of college. She taught me a lot of college at college, and when I went to see her last year, what she said to me was that we are struggling a lot in the UK in that all the I think I said to this that all the fish clubs have gone, uh, and the interest has died a bit. So we we've actually kind of gotten full circle at the, at the moment in the UK in that the, 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 there's, there's less people keeping fish. Um, it's, it's, gone, it's gone full circle right back to just bread, bread and butter stuff and it's harder to get the more unusual stuff and the rarer stuff. So we've actually gone, if you like, to the bottom of the barrel in that we've, you know, in the eight, our boom time was the 80s and the 90s and we're actually in a, in a bit of a, a lull at the moment. Um, um, I don't really understand why or how because I'm not so familiar with the hobby. I'm more familiar with the discus world. But yeah, I mean, we're 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 actually on a down cycle at the moment where it's it, they're only aiming at the general the general fish keeper mm-hmm. and all the spe- all the specialists and the clubs have um, taken a downturn. So as much as I would like like to agree with you, in my country, it's not happening that way. Unfortunately, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, and, we, and with that comes cheap fish. Yeah. Because if if the guy if the guys aren't specialists and they don't know and they don't know the hobby, they aren't they aren't going to pay for more expensive fish because they don't see any reason for it because they've got no no background knowledge whatsoever. A fish is a fish. 
if that's the case, it's always going to be the cheap one. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, well, that's why uh, you know, gentlemen such as yourself and um, George Farmer and any English yeah. gals out there, who, whoever has a passion yeah. for this, you know, it's uh, yeah. to try to reinvigorate, find other fish nerds, and and just you know, try yeah. to continue to grow the hobby through whatever means you know you guys have mm-hmm. available. And actually, one of the things I wanted to do, Neil, hold on, it's going to get a little clicky here as I uh, I'm going to go to. Give me one second. This is this is fantastic okay. uh, podcast audio right here, folks. As I click okay. and I go to my podcast dashboard. All right, we'll go to <laughs> people are gonna be like, "What is Randy doing?" All right, Randy's clicking, clicking. We're going to statistics. So what I want to do, Neil, is give you an idea. Mm-hmm. United Kingdom. What is it? Go for it. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Where's that? Where's that statistic at? We'll go. What happened to my all-time button? Well, basically, what I'm getting at is it's. I think it's like 10% of the listeners of this podcast are actually in the yeah. UK. So what I wow. would want okay. are these are these fellow like UK fish nerds that are listening to the podcast. So like, there's people that mm-hmm. you know a lot in Australia and New Zealand, Canada, America, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But a good number, like kind of just all over Europe. But yeah, UK UK is pretty yeah. good. Um, I would say UK listeners, reach out to Neil and and uh, try to get him plugged in with your club. Maybe Neil will give you a, a talk on tox or um, eco. What what do, you, what do you specialize in? Eco toxicology was that what it was? Eco toxicology, yeah. parasites, all that good stuff. So so yeah, there's definitely uh, UK listeners that are that are hearing this right now. Um, you okay. Know, so you got that sounds like a good plan. We we need a catchy title for making the hobby strong again in the UK. Something <laughs> something you can put on perhaps a hat. We, perhaps, we need, perhaps we need perhaps we need perhaps we need our own little network. Our own little network yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, so Neil, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more than about um, uh, let's talk about our time in Peru and in particular okay. the 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 second week. So. Um, yeah. Okay. For MT Amazon, you and I, we were on the uh, like five, mm. six day expedition on the mm. uh, on the boat going up the Amazon River and just stopping at all mm. these little, um, you know, drying yeah. out little streams and, and lakes and all that good stuff. So it was definitely dry season, easier to catch the fish or at least locate where they're going to be. They'll be more concentrated mm. in these smaller bodies of water. Had a fantastic mm. time getting bit by tetras, getting uh, eaten alive by mosquitoes, stabbing myself with, uh, you know, pine pine needles and all that stuff but it was it was a wonderful wonderful experience um and that was your mm. third time down correct it is yeah third year in a row third summer in a row yeah. so what uh what was different about this trip for you mm, first year we went east the first year i think this year we went west didn't we I honestly, it was I, a different. My cardinal direction was yeah. so thrown off. I had no idea. Yeah, you can't, to... you can't, you can't tell which direction you're going because that, that, but yeah, that that river goes all over the place. It was a different river. It's the same river but different direction. So it literally was mm, uh, different river, slightly different habitats, slightly different water types. I mean, you must have got a feel for that the number of times that we didn't know whether we were on a black water or a white water. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the possibility of um, different fish, and we did get a lot of different fish. What was there... um, that? Was that was the main difference, really? I mean, if you, if you went the other way, you wouldn't see that much difference. I was surprised at uh, how many spots had epistogrammas and just how prevalent yes. and how common okay. epistogrammas are. 
Yes. And if you go the opposite direction, it's exactly the same. Mm. So you'll, you'll get a pistogram mark all over the place. I do not know why. Yeah, I guess it's just, but you know, from, from an evolutionary standpoint, just that, you know, dwarfism allowed I think them... It's ge- I, think it's ge- I think it's geographics. I think it just we just happen to be in a region where there are a pistogramma. Oh, oh, you don't think it's something where, like, they're just kind of all over the place in general? Yeah, I think they are all over the place, but I, 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 I can't believe that they're the same density all over the place. I mm. think if you went out of town far enough, I'm sure they'd disappear. They can't be everywhere, surely. Maybe somebody out there knows. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know the answer to that question, but all I know is if you go east or west, you do get a lot of epistogramma. Yeah, yeah. There there definitely were a lot of epistogrammas, um, you know, definitely a lot of uh, a lot of killies which we had a a big yeah. time big time killie fan on the boat so i don't know if do you, it was... do you remember do you remember the first week when we went out on the boat we went past um an area where we said it was the old water supply the old... and there was a, a beach and everybody was partying on the beach oh yes yes do you remember mm-hmm. well the second week since we're going to talk about it that is a spot that we went fishing um um and up there on the bank, there is a small community, which is where we landed. There was a guy up there. You're not going to believe this. He was selling discus. There was there's discus on that part of the river. Really? Yes. And the only difference was I didn't have any fins. They'd literally been eaten off. Oh, geez. And then within within about 200 yards, we stopped the boat, got out, and we we sailed for maybe an hour. And I'm not joking you. We got well over 200 Oscars in six sails. So it's so six, that, six to, wow. Six, yes, it was absolutely jam packed full of Oscars. That's so awesome. We literally, we literally had, we must have had over two hundred. So, so I was, in an hour. I was a little sad that we only, mm. and and this is with the crew helping us with the, so the two guys, yeah. Segundo and um, oh my mm. god, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, Juan Miguel. I mean, these guys are absolute savages when yeah, it comes well, to Miguel just sounds right. when they, when they yeah, when yeah. it comes to and I say savage in the best possible yeah. term. Like they're just amazing. We, we had a we had a we had a net that looked like something came off the back of the boat. It was it was about five or six foot deep. It was about thirty yards long. It was a major major mm. big same net, and we were there. We were literally getting forty or fifty. Oscars purple. Well, we only got the one the entire trip, and that Segundo yeah. actually got that one. It was one yeah. Oscar. This was in the lake yeah. with all the jumping angels that I that I was catching, which I had an absolute blast. Yeah. And you know, this Oscar was just kind yeah. of in like angel I was, I fish was, territory. I was shocked, totally shocked at how many fish there were, literally just around the corner from the beach. Wow, I mean, absolutely stacked full of fish, huh. stacked full. You don't have to go out of town to catch fish; they are everywhere talk to me about the so you're saying the discus had their fins eaten off what was that about yeah yeah they were literally they were literally almost finless there was a guy and they were exactly the same fish that that we that we had that we caught it's the same fish they look the same it's just that the 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 finnage was gone it just been nibbled off and the only the only thing i can think of is is because you know that that's a main river isn't it it's like it's a big river it's not a not a side stream so I can only think that it's not not so much cover. The guy said he went out um, night fishing in a, in his little boat, and yeah, he was catching discus on that river. Interesting. They so, just they were they were just nibbled to death. So you don't they just think, had almost no finish. You don't think all, it every, was all, every single fin eating eats just bitten away. You don't think it was like poor um, husbandry of once he caught them and he had them. No, in... no, they were they were nibbled. I looked up, huh. looked up, and they said they've been bitten. Interesting. Yep. 
They've been eating each other like they do on the river, as you know. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So then the, uh, so then your second week there, uh, yeah. what, what was the, what was the purpose, right? So we had stayed one week for the, for the ex- expedition. We went back to town. Yeah. We, we did all the arranging for yeah. the, the export of our fish. Uh, we took off. Yeah. Neil, you stayed for another week in Iquito. So what were you doing? I think, I think, I think about seven or eight months ago, I got um, a little advert through from uh, big, uh, big Blue Ocean Cleanup. And it was saying how, they are they're a charity and that they are desperate to try to clear the seas off of of, of um out you know plastics there's plastics everywhere you know please donate become a member we are gonna we're gonna try you know, we're gonna clean up the oceans and um you know last year we had that 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 book you remember the book that um i did all the fish yep the Amazon book, the Amazon um, uh, species. Um, if you if you if you read that, there's a really really nice introduction. It basically says that the the Amazon is an ex inland sea. It was a, it was an inland sea, and all that's happened is the, the 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 river level has gone down. So a lot of the fish are ex sea fish, and that you know that kind of thing. And I just suddenly realised to me, says what. Well, you know, you know, you've you've been around Akitos. You know how dirty it is. You know how filthy it is. You know how much plastic there is. So what I, I just went, this is crazy. Why is this guy only helping, only helping people, if it's in the sea? So I wrote him a, a great big long letter saying, you know, the people of Akitos, they need your help too, and it's an inland sea. And please, you're not telling me that you're only going to help people clean plastics out of the ocean, are you? And he wrote back and said, no, no, go for it. We'll help. What do you want to do? And I went, microplastics. And he went, this is Rory, who's the uh, big boss. And Rory Sinclair. And he went, what do you want to do? And he came back. And Well, I said to him, they need education. Let's do an education program. And he, he wrote back saying, no, no, we want, to, we want to know if there's plastics in fish. And I went, okay, we'll do it. That's how it happened. We decided between us that we would look to see, because I'd already already seen the reports coming out of Brazil, that the there's a few papers now that are saying that a, a lot of the Brazilian food fish that people are eating have got plastics in them. So I only said it as a very minor matter. He came back, no, 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 we don't want to do an education program. We want to know if there's we want to know if there's plastics in the fish that the people are eating. And I went, okay, I'll do it. That's what happened. That's oh, how nice. it happened. And then you ended up getting hooked up with a German that was living in Iquitos, right? No, he did. He did his masters. Um, he he yeah, he's an educated guy. He he settled now in Iquitos. He's from Lima, but um, he he's done his he did his masters in in a very well-to-do German university, and he speaks very good English. He's got a European education. Oh, that's what, okay. So he's um, Peruvian that studied in Germany and then went yeah. back home. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and he he was he's open he's open to you know he's he's trying to build something there. He's trying he's trying to you know conserve what they, he's, he's trying to conserve what they've got in the rivers. He, he's trying to he's trying to grow what he's got there. He's trying to get people educated. He's trying to help people. He's trying to do a lot of things. Um, and he was he's open to collaborations and he said okay look I am you know we were going to do a little I, you know as you know I did a little bit of parasitology last year and we talked we talked a little bit about doing some, doing some parasitology as well as uh, microplastics and in in the end you know I've got I've got some gills we did we did do some parasitology 
but he he allowed me and he helped me to collect these fish so that we can do microplastics nice and that's sh- what we did and and what's this gentleman's name again let's give him a shout out I am I am desperately trying to think Uh-oh. of his name right now, <laughs> uh, and it's really, really we'll, bad. we'll come back. Um, we'll come back, and uh, and we'll get. I'll let I'll let you look on your phone. So yeah, uh, that's yeah. so to echo that sentiment. There were several people yeah. that we had met there. Um, you know, one mm. one uh, college age gal who was at the Manatee Center. Um, so we actually saw a manatee getting a physical. Uh, you know, mm. five people having to lay on yeah. top of this manatee to yeah. keep it from fl- yeah. from thrashing around. But these, you know, research yeah. scientists in conjunction with, I think it's like Dallas, uh, one of the big Dallas aquariums, um, you know, having this oh, Amazon yeah. or this Amazon manatee rehabilitation center. And so this gal, mm. um, you know, again, college age, spoke English just perfect. I'm like, man, you, mu- you yeah, must have she spent was, some she serious was a vet, time. Wasn't she? she was a trainee vet and she was out of Lima as well and she'd she'd been through every 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 different animal hadn't she yeah. she'd been she talks about insects and she talks about all different things that she'd been into and at the moment she's into a manatee yeah and she was yeah. probably third or fourth year in her in her bachelor's yeah. program i would guess and yeah. uh, she was yeah, talking yeah. about how you know the peruvians in general are very proud of their country they're very proud of the amazon um mm. but you know in Iquitos, you that wouldn't necessarily translate into the into actuality of what we saw in terms of the uh the, the uh, debris, they, they have a, and so i think they what have you, a, um, in, yeah, I was, didn't mean to interrupt. They have a problem with the in the the older generation, and they I've been there for three years now. I keep asking questions, and they're of the opinion that um, the river takes your rubbish away. So all their plastics and all their rubbish, they tend to in the dry season. It's their habit to throw things out on the river, and and then it rains the river rises the water level rises and it takes the rubbish away and mm-hmm. they think it's okay and that's an ingrained habit yeah yeah and yeah so, that is that is a big part of the problem and, and so yeah in in you know with talking with this gal with talking with our our tour guide mm. at the manatee center this younger generation yeah. you know trying to spearhead and trying to get these education programs so that those younger generations of of, of peruvians and, and Iquitos citizens they understand mm. that you know the trash does actually go somewhere Somewhere, right, it goes to Brazil. One of their jokes was, "If you drop yeah, it in the river, goes it's, down the river, it's Brazil's problem." Yeah. <laughs> um, but, mm-hmm. but yeah. and I think we'll touch on it with probably your works. But those microplastics, you know, it doesn't all necessarily go to Brazil, right? Like some of it's ending up in the fish that you're eating, right? And you don't know that without yes. research and education. So, um, in in yeah, in, in, in not to poo-poo on them and say, "Oh, they're so bad." Um, from my understanding, in watching a show like Mad Men, which it's odd to reference them, but there was a different trash culture here in even this country to what it is now right yeah. like th- we had to have a whole campaign a whole public you know multiple campaigns to tell people not mm-hmm. to litter like we actually had to go so far yeah. as to find people because it was so prevalent to just throw trash out of your car as you're driving we had to find yeah. you hundreds of dollars to stop doing that so it's decades and yeah. decades of of kind of social engineering and and behavioral correction through monetary punishment to get you to stop mm-hmm. leaving your trash and there's this really funny scene in Mad Men uh, you know an American uh, you know TV show that portrays life in the 50s and you know the family this yeah. you know nuclear family if you will they go out to a park they have a wonderful picnic and when they're done i think they pretty much just pick up their picnic basket blanket and they leave all their trash on this beautiful green lawn of a park and just and just bounce <laughs> and i think yeah and that and that's exactly as you as you well know that's exactly how it is in the and that's exactly what they do mm-hmm. 
But but oh, you, know, you know they might they might in its you own, know they might they might tie a knot in the plastic bag, but all the rubbish goes into a plastic bag. They tie a knot and they leave it, and then they leave it for the river to take it away. And that is the it's a a culture. Yeah, as you know now. Yeah, know. and it's no. and even if even if the so so. I, I assume they had a trash service. I never saw anybody going around actually picking yeah, up trash. Yeah, this year was this year was the first year I saw it. I saw I saw I don't know what, what week it was. First week or second. I saw wagons coming around cleaning. Oh no, I we, think, we I actually did. Year. Yeah, we did see people. Yeah. We did see people uh, cleaning yeah. up. And what they do yes. for their like public trash receptacles, it looks like what we have here in our in our parks. Like the we have mm. these barbecues, um, these you know permanent barbecue fixtures where it's on a very heavy metal mm. pole, and then it's just kind of this square with a grate. They had that, but it was made out of rebar, and it's basically this four foot elevated basket. And I believe that's where trash bags are supposed to go. But what uh, what I'd heard is that you know when they throw these their trash into bags, they tie it up, make a big pile. There was such a mm. there's so many dogs, there's so many loose dogs there, and these aren't you know these aren't necessarily aggressive dogs. There's just so many dogs there that the dogs, the street dogs, the street dogs there you go, dogs. the yeah. street dogs get into the trash bags, and then they open up mm-hmm. the trash bags, and then the wind comes, yeah. the rains come, and then that's how and we see exactly. So that's yeah. that that doesn't help things either. Um, so there's just, you know, I, I think the positive takeaway is that with, with the, you know, the, the awareness, the, the, the new generations that are coming up, um, they know that this is a problem. They know this is sustainable. They need a big, yeah, I feel they need a big education program. Oh, but, for sure. Um, for sure. But the, yeah. but the positive is to actually have those citizens like acknowledging that that's a problem and that, you know, they're, they're, they know that they need to educate more. They know they need to spread awareness. I mean, that's, that's something, you know, it's better than nothing. It's yeah, it's it's definitely something. So let's talk about your um, parasitology research. So you and I, okay. uh, we had the uh, we had the privilege. Well, privilege. I don't I don't know if I want to call it a privilege or not. But you and I, we um, did some discus dissection. So some of we did, didn't we? Yeah, on the boat. So, so yes. I, I put out a video, um, a YouTube video of the Amazon discus farm that we went to, which I should share you the link because I don't know if you've seen it or not. But you're you're in there a little bit, um, where we went to that uh, that village where they, um, you know, the kind of the quasi discus farm, and we we purchased thirty discus from there, and we ended up losing. Yeah, he, he yeah he had some holding ponds, mm-hmm. didn't he? And he, he put them in there. Yes. Yep. So we we had end up losing, uh, I think ten overnight because of the aeration situation we you know the boat power yeah. shuts off at night the the uh the, the air pump shut off and so unfortunately just with how we had kept them uh we lost 10 and those 10 though yeah. didn't go to waste because they actually served two purposes one we ended up actually eating them so we ate them as a food fish which the internet kind of lost their mm-hmm. mind about some people were like oh yeah you know that's you're not wasting anything the other half were like omg you just ate discus that's just so faux pas mm-hmm. um but the second mm-hmm. the second purpose of it being scientific so um i've actually got footage of us dissecting those discus taking out their um taking out their gills and a couple of them we took out their stomachs so were you able to actually do some some research on that um, the the gills are in a pot. They are um, they are preserved, and I can be, and they will be. It depends a lot on money, because I mean, I, I did the same thing last year. Um, I ended up uh, doing histology on them, um, and it's it's quite an expensive business. Um, I hooked up with a, a company in Germany. Um, I had I had my specimen sent to Germany, 
Um, I had them blocked up. I had the histology done on them, and it takes a long time. And they are they are um, they are ready now to be looked at. Nice. Um, so it's, it's not quick. So I, I, in in short, I've got I've got them. It's gonna cost me another 300 odd pounds to get them analyzed oh wow and so, so yes we have them it's just now now it's a matter of you know it's cost me cost me well over 300 pound last year it's going to cost me another well over 300 pound this year to get those analyzed um and then to put them in the talk to expand the talk yes Mm, very nice. And so, yeah, and that's that's definitely something that this is coming out of your own pocket. Like this is pure yeah. scientific hobbyist passion mm-hmm. that, you know, you're going yeah. to these lengths to, to do that. Now, for, for myself yeah. and, and those listening, uh, what's mm. what, histology? So what is uh, – break that down for me in like, like I'm a sixth grader. Mm, let's, let's try. So um, you get your gills, you put them into uh, methanol, ethanol. They're preserved. You would take them out. Um, you you um, you get a um, uh, you you heat wax up so that the wax becomes fluid. You put your gill in the heated wax. The um, the wax then solidifies, and you then make um, a very thin slice of that, which is is like a couple of microns thick. Mm. Then you do something called H&E, you stain it, and then you mount it on a slide, and then you look down the microscope and you can see what you can see. Oh, and that in that process. And we're talking about we're talking about microns. We're talking we're talking about a sliver which is a couple of microns thick. And that process is called histology. That's called histology. Oh, yes. Oh, okay, very cool. I thought in my head I was like, oh, histology must be a lab running an analysis and then sending you back the results. But histology is actually just the creation of the slides. Yes, that's the process of yeah. I mean, uh, the analysis. Well, you need an expert for the analysis. So, um, the lady that I talked about, she has a PhD in parasitology. So I will go go around hers. We will stick them under the microscope and we will look for what we can see. Okay, Neil. So then, the the rest of your time then. So we've talked about now the the discus and you know histology and mm. and those uh, and the gills. So that probably have to have you on for a, a second time on to talk about the results of that whenever you get that done. Um, okay. The plastics then in the in the native food fishes. So talk yeah, to me about that. Plastics. Um, well, I think I think what the idea generally was to. Oh, let me. How can I put it? To try to ascertain whether the plastics in the waters around Iquitos is relevant. So, what I did was I tried to get fish which are in and around the town, and then I tried to get some fish which are from out of town, further away from town. Um, so we we did a lot of local fishing, and then. Um, we we actually I mean you you're in the Manatee you're in the Manatee farm um, the IIAP are next door and they've got their um, they've got their own ponds so these are, those are not on the river they're not on the river system so they those are probably a little bit less less plasticky if you like less plastic there um, and then we went fishing in the rivers around town as I've already said with the Oscars and then I went down to the market and I bought fish from out of town so I think I have in total um, 88 fish town at the moment 
Oh, wow. We're waiting. And, and so just yeah. to make sure I'm on the same page and maybe yeah. this will help some listeners, yeah. when we talk about plastics, yeah. we're not talking mm. about we're going to dissect a fish and find a grocery shopping bag inside. These are micro plastics no. that as plastic yeah. kind of tumbles in the water, like it just breaks they're, down. They're, they're, I, I, it, took me, it took me a long time to work it out. It's very small pieces. So they, they might be something you might see with your eye. Or slightly smaller, but they are very, they are pieces of plastic which are so small that you may or may not see them with your eye. Um, there's two basic techniques. Um, the fish that I caught in the uh, on site were uh, about three or four inches big. So what you can do is you put the whole fish into a solution. You, dis- you dissolve the fish away so that all you've got is mush and then you sieve it for the small pieces of plastic. The other way of doing it is is what you said before, which is the guts. You t- a lot of the fish I took were bigger fish, like the Oscars. They were seven, eight, nine inches long. Um, we opened them up and took the, the whole of the gut, and put that in a pot, and then, then they're simply trying to find the pieces in the gut so you, you, you wash it out you dissolve dissolve the gut away and then you and then you try to analyze it from then try and find the, the small pieces of plastic from then so you went you end up with um, a count if you like um, um, a number of pieces of plastic per fish and have you done the actual count and analysis on that yet or is that still coming no it, I, I have to find someone to do it mm. um, I am struggling to find someone willing. Um, I, I've got someone I hope will do it, but that's that's called science. It's it's process. Um, I have there are as I can as I've now worked out. Unfortunately, it's a very new science. There are very few places that actually do it. Full stop. It's as simple as that. There are literally a handful of people that are doing it. It's it's so new. So I have to try to persuade one of these people to analyze my 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 specimens for huh. me. Wow, that's interesting. And so, what kind of what, what what kind of methods are they using to actually count and detect plastic? Then it's under a microscope. You would, okay. you would have it in a petri you would have it in a petri dish, um, and you're looking for small, very small pieces. Huh. As I understand it, at the moment, that is that is how the method works. So the the science is it is to to digest away the rest of the fish to leave to leave a mush with plastic in. And you have to go looking for the plastics. Oh, interesting. That is <laughs> that's de- how it works. Yeah, that's definitely fascinating. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess I, I, I figure maybe they have some like laser spectrometer thing that can you shoot it across no, the I mush think, and it counts. I think the... it. I think it's. I, unfortunately, I think Randy is more basic than that. I think it's a microscope and wow. a lot of time and effort. Wow. Hey, so anybody in the UK like this? This this sounds like we need a crowdsource. Well, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Well, in no, the no. UK. Hear, hear mean, me out. Hear, yeah. hear me out, though. So somebody in the UK. Uh, well, I guess you guys have the channel, so maybe it could be a French person, right? But somebody close yeah. by, let's say a bachelor's of science level undergrad student that's looking to get some kind of research project going on. That like yeah, that's MSc, that's MSc or PhD. That that's free great. labor for you right there, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's the it's also you have to think about the other point of view. I spent you know hundreds of pounds last year, hundred pounds this year. I've got you know I've got 80, 88 specimens. If someone wants to charge me, it's eighty eight times whatever they want to charge me per Ooh. specimen. 
gets gets rather expensive. Yeah, definitely. That that really does. Now, um, in working with the uh, the gentleman in charge of the, yeah, I completely spaced on the Herman. name. His name, his first name is Herman. Oh, Herman. Okay, so Herman. But the uh, the plastics guy, the one that's uh, attacking the yeah. plastic in the ocean. So, is there any grant money to help fund this part of the research? Um, Big Blue Ocean Cleanup is um, a charity, and the only the only promise I've got from him at the moment is he he will contribute. So until I know what the costs are, mm. we don't know. All I can say, all I can say is, um, um, you know, they've been very good to me so far. And uh, Rory Sinclair, big shout out to him. Very nice guy, very friendly, very helpful. Totally up for it. Um, you know, I think big, big blue ocean cleanup are um, worldwide. So look them up if you look on their website. You, there is a page on there for microplastics, and you will see um, which organisms they have found in which oceans um, that contain microplastics. So anybody can look that up. Um, I am literally trying to find someone to give me a price. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so we can definitely put a, a link to Big Blue Ocean in the show notes for this episode, so that yeah, way people big, can big, just. They're called Big Blue Ocean Cleanup. Yeah, nice. And uh, so, any other fun, crazy stories from that second week in Iquitos before I let you go, Neil? I don't think so. I think we better leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Neil Clark, sir, thank you very much for uh, for coming on. Are you going to do, is year four um, going to happen to 2020? I'm not sure. I'm definitely going back. Uh, may, it's a definite maybe, but I'm not sure. Th- three in a row is quite an effort. Four in a row, I don't know. We'll see. Four in a row. We'll you're see. four in a row. How you're about a rock you? Star. Are you are you are you go, are you going to go two in a row? Or are you going to go back next year? I I can't, I can't with the uh, with the current family there situation. I don't think I'll be able to yeah. uh, to do that. I'm, okay, I'm that's out, a shame. My wife's already going to give me the uh, the do pass. Think, do you and, think you will go back? Oh, are for you sure. Make it back for sure. Yeah. So 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 in November it's, of this year, I'm going to uh, Shanghai. I'm going to go to Sips, which is the yeah. China International Pet Show. So that's already going to okay. be a pretty big strain on the family. We've got family flying Fantastic. up to help me cover there. But I told everybody in the crew, I'm like. Like two years, give me two years. I'll be back down here. Yeah. Um, and if it's not a Quitos, man, collecting in Southeast Asia, collecting in Africa, um, you know, yeah. just that that one trip, I was literally and figuratively bit by the bug, right? To yeah. to yeah. to yeah. like really do this collecting thing. Like it was such yeah. an amazing time. <laughs> you, you, will, you will be out there again as soon as you possibly can. You'll were you were you on the yeah. night? Were you did you go with us on the night fishing trip where I had to keep my feet in the bucket of water? No, you weren't on I that when we were. That, when that we were must f- have been the first. Is that the first week. No, that's yeah, not. Yeah, I that was. was you. That was when the first was week. When was that? You were there. You weren't there. When? It was where we. No, I, I must have not done the night fishing. So, so yeah, we we went out and we did night fishing since we're talking about being bitten by yeah. bugs. And uh, Devin, you know, tour leader extraordinaire, the guy yeah. that practically lives yeah. in the Amazon. Uh, he went in shorts and a t-shirt, and I'm like, all right, well, I'll do a long yeah, sleeve yeah. in in shorts and just my flip flops. Yeah. I'll be all right. We'll be in the boat. We'll be moving. No. The mosquitoes, no. man, they loved me. And so, thank God we had extra collecting yeah. buckets. So I filled yeah. a bucket up with water and I submerged my feet in the bucket so it was up to my knees and then I was able to cover like the other part the exposed part of my skin because they were just they were hammering me so hard it was such a bad mistake to not wear pants and shoes oh I'll never do that again you learn I learn you learn you you, you go one year you you learn most of this stuff in the first year oh my goodness yeah Yeah. 
and it was terrible but man it was so cool it was such a good experience so all right neil it is uh it's like 11 o'clock over there in the uk it is super late man uh it's been wonderful connecting with you and uh yeah neil thank you so much no thank you for your time around it's been great fun thanks very much